This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 79 of the Equalizer podcast as we come to the end of September and get ready for an October that will be filled with NWSL playoffs, the end of the Jill Ellis tenure, and the final weekend of the NWSL season. But as I bring in Chelsea Bush, my name is Dan Lawletta. Chelsea, on this final weekend of September, a lot of clarification about the NWSL playoffs, including the four playoff teams that just happen to be the same four that were in there last year, but not the same two home teams. We're going to have the Courage and the Red Stars now, as the hosts of semifinal games, hopefully the Courage actually get to host this time around, and the away teams will be the Cascadia Clubs, Thorns, and Rain, and uh, the Spirit were actually the last team to get eliminated, though that was in part because they have an extra game coming up this weekend during the FIFA break, because I think easily the team to talk about that didn't make it is Utah Royals FC. Royals and Rain, they played Wednesday, that game ultimately pretty much decided that final playoff spot, but... Um, what are you looking at as we get to the end of this weekend? Is it more that, wow, the rain got in, or is it, wow, how did the Royals figure out a way to knock it in? I think it's more how did the rain get in. Um, and we've talked a lot about injuries and really particularly players like, like not having Mega Rapino for, you know, really until now. Losing Jackson Fishlock to the season is huge. But just, they, you know, I thought today playing the Thorns particularly, they looked good. It wasn't just that they've, sort of, you know, had some luck and stumbled in the playoffs. I think they, they, they took advantage of some chances, and, yeah, they, they dropped points here and there, and, and it was it, it took some some dropped points by the Royals as well for the rain to get there. But I, I think they looked really sound today. And I think that to take a team who's lost so many pieces and was on, like, their, what, third goalkeeper this year, to do something like that and still make the playoffs and still look good is impressive. I still maybe think I agree it's impressive. I think Vlatko Andonovsky probably will get my coach of the year vote, but I still have to look at the Royals not making it, especially because that when they beat the Rain in that August game and then they moved ahead of them in the standings and they were rolling and Kristen Press came back from the World Cup playing so well and then almost like at the snap of a finger it seemed like it stopped and they were the same old Royals again. And look at this week. They are 1-1 against the Rain in the 86th minute, I think, and then 1-1 against the Red Stars in the 85th minute, and they wind up losing both of those games 2-1. to And that's just not what a playoff team does. And keep in mind that they sold a lot of their soul. They sold a lot of draft picks off to bring in Kristen Press, and a season and a half in, they've got nothing to show for it. I mean, I think, I think nothing is a little bit harsh. Um, she's 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 the one scoring goals for them right now. I mean, she's going to head her out. How often does she do that? You know, and in a big game at that, she, which is something I think we probably wouldn't have said about Kristen Press 
in the in the past she is working with Katie Single. She is working with Amy Rodriguez. Um, she worked with Vero. I think that that some of their results they wouldn't have gotten without Kristen Press on the field this year. And I mean, that's also Laura Harvey's very rarely used the draft. I'm not sure that's a huge, you know, it's not really where her strength is. So I'm not sure that that's as huge a loss as it maybe is for some other coaches. Um, well, well, that's fair, but I still think if you're going to make the move that, yeah, presses was really good for them for a long stretch of the season, but if you're not going to be in the play, I mean, it's all about getting to the playoffs and figuring it out. And Harvey now is four years in a row without the playoffs and five out of seven in the league. She hasn't been in there. Yeah, and it is. And I, a friend of mine, the Utah's, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Royals have improved since last year. Um, so they're, they're they're trending in the right direction. Let's not forget they had some key injuries of, of their own. They lost Becca Morris, they lost Kelly Hara, which I think is was a big factor for them. I think they would have been a better team if she was on the field. They didn't get much out of Manny Laddish. Um, so, they've, you know, they've had their own injuries. Um, as far as Harvey not making it, you know, what for in a while – to me, I kind of always thought she was a little bit more, maybe more limited as a coach than some people want to admit. I think that she doesn't find it easy to adapt when her team isn't playing according to the plan she has. And I think maybe she needs to go back to the drawing board and see what players she has and see what, what system she can get out of them, what partnership she can she can expound on, rather than saying, I'm going to go with this system and these are the players I'm going to, I'm going to stick in there. And we saw that a little bit. She started, I think, when Durham was, she played – uh, Katie Stingle is sort of an attacking midfielder, which was a move I, I probably never would have come up with. Um, but I thought it worked really well. And I thought, think that that's when they started to get some results that pushed them into that uh, fourth spot. And they just have kind of stumbled here to the last. So I think there are positives to take from this season. Well, I agree about Harvey. And I also think that the antithesis of that, the exact opposite of that, is Vlatko Andonovsky, who I think would literally put any player in any position for one game if he thought that gave his team an opportunity to win. And I think that makes them sneaky dangerous when we get into the playoffs, even though I think that the other three teams are all considerably better than what the rain have available right now to put on the field. But I think that even though the rain just beat one of those teams pretty handily. Well, you know, you talk logically like that. And then I guess my, my, <laughs> my logic goes out the window. Um, I think on personnel, yes. Obviously, the rain beat them. Yeah. The, and the rain are in the playoffs because they won, and the Thorns are going on the road for the playoffs because the rain got all nine points. That hasn't happened in that rivalry since 2013. Um, but yeah, I think, I I think the Thorns just player for player, yeah, Thorns are better than the rain considerably. Yeah, yeah, I would say so as far as pure talent wise on paper, but I just think that the Vatko's getting so much more out of his players than Mark Parsons is right now. Yeah, I, I think this is the first time in the Parsons era in Portland where you're wondering maybe a little bit what's going on. Um, you know, I I got back from Red Bull and literally watched that game kind of on fast forward just so I would have something some insight into it and and stopped at a couple different points. But if you look at the second goal that broke the back, Balser scored the goal, but before that there was the ball in and it kicked out to like the top of the 18, and the entire Thorns back line just kind of sat there and waited for Ali Long to go pick up the ball uncontested. That's not that's not the way to keep a team off the scoreboard. Yeah, and it's it's concerning really that they've been playing like that for what almost a month now, I would say. 
um, you know, they, they were so good during the World Cup break when they lost so many major players. And it just seems like ever since those players have come back, they've struggled really to um, bring those players back in and to recreate that that chemistry. And they're just – I feel like when they have had successes against Houston, it's taken either the other team shutting off for a moment or kind of a moment of individual brilliance and not just really taking the time to build up and break down the team. And that's not necessarily a recipe for success in the postseason. As we said, they have plenty of talent. They could come to life. But right now I just – I, I see, and you know, part of it may be fatigue. Um, it's the end of a long season. The World Cup, t- you know, teams have played a lot. Um, but you look, you know, even before the World Cup, I, I've been very clear on the thing. I think Emily Son is playing very poorly. We've talked about how Lindsay Horan isn't up, up to snuff, really. And unfortunately, she took what looked like a nasty head injury late in the game, had to get stretched off. So there's no telling if they're even going to have her. But I just, they, they look listless to me. It's, it's like they, they've run out of ideas. They were playing, particularly today, playing very direct. And I'm like, you you have way too much talent on that field to, to play direct. And, yes, you, you do have players like Razzo and Purse who that suits their skill set. But you, you can do so much better than that, the Thorns can, in my opinion. And I just – I don't know if they have maybe kind of gotten complacent, maybe take it for, for granted that they're going to get into the postseason or, or what's going on there. But I have a lot of questions about them. And – I would have said up until a month ago that, yeah, they were clearly in that, that top tier of the three best teams. But right now, they, they certainly don't look like it. So you actually would disagree with me then that you think the, that this was not a fluke result and that the rain are actually better right now? Right now, yes. Like I said, I agree with you on paper that the Thorns are more talented and they're, they're capable. I think their ceiling is higher than the rain. But right now, um, in multiple games, I think the rain looked better than the Thorns. And I'll tell you what really has to bring a smile to your face if you're a Rain fan is that Jody Taylor now in consecutive games has scored goals that have really mattered because I've kept saying all season that when is Jody Taylor going to score? When is Shea Groom going to score? Obviously, Groom can't score when she's not out there, but you know Taylor getting those two goals is big. And what you said about the Thorns, like since the World Cup, the coaches all say, you know, we have our pre-World Cup team, we have our during-World Cup team, we have our after-World Cup team, and it sounds like a cliché. But, you know, it's not only that the personnel changes, but people's entire lives change when they go to the World Cup. You know, you go to the World Cup and you come back a World Cup champion, that might make Kristen Press come back and play lights out. It might make somebody else come back and their body gives out on them. It might make somebody else come back and have just that little bit in the back of their mind of satisfaction and they don't play as well. And that applies to the, you know, players like Jody Taylor also, you know, England had a really rough exit from a World Cup. They thought they could win. You know, I don't know if that's affected Jody Taylor or not, but I, if I'm the rain, I'm really pleased at the fact that she has scored these two goals because their biggest issue throughout the season, other than missing Fishlock, who terrorizes the midfield, is they just weren't getting enough goals from the players that were supposed to score for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've, I've been kind of hard on, on Taylor as well. I really didn't think she'd been playing up to the level that we know she's capable of for the rain. So, yeah, it is it is good to see her score those, those two big goals. And, and she's doing a lot when she's not scoring lately, I think, too. She's really getting in between the two center backs in particular and kind of hanging on their shoulder and making them pay attention to her rather than other people who are making maybe making late runs, you know, like Ali Long was doing today. I also thought that I think that Megan Rapino for the first time in, in a while, even though she's played a couple games now, I thought this was the first time she really looked dangerous. 
Um, yeah, I would agree based on my uh, fast forward uh, anecdotal evidence on the game. I think she did look pretty good. And obviously she took her time and, and made it back and, you know, got a little bit of flack for not playing in the Wednesday game, which I understand because, you you know, there's only 24 games in the schedule and you don't want your players missing games for what you could consider a frivolous reason. And I do think it's a problem in the NWSL. But in fairness, that was a rescheduled game. So when Megan Rapino decided to go over to Europe for the FIFA Best, which we will talk about at some point on the podcast, there was not supposed to be a game two days after that. And I I don't think you can doubt Megan Rapino's commitment to the rain. And I agree she's looked better. And did we anybody expect Bethany Balser to still be playing this well in game twenty three? Oh, I mean you know, we talk about Jody Taylor scoring a big goal. That was a, today was a big goal, and it was very, very well created. And to come into a game against your rival, where you may have your playoff hopes on the line, and you're very you know insecure one zero lead, and to have the presence of mind as as a rookie to get that you know send your defender the wrong way, and then to to beat the goalkeeper at near post, I think is just is very, very impressive. Completely agree. My my rookie of the year all day long. See, I think I might have to just put in the vote for Sam Staub. I know it hasn't been a spectacular. Oh, but... yeah, she's the runner-up for sure. I, I like. I think Staub's been very overlooked this season, probably because she's a defender. But I think yep. for for a rookie to come in and be the leading scorer on any team is really impressive. Right, and a playoff team to boot. And I do think Balser will win. I think I will likely vote. For stop, but I can't remember a better story from a rookie in women's soccer ever. And really, in a lot, you know, thinking about other sports too. I mean, an NAIA player comes out, and again, it's one thing to have those couple of goals at the start of the season. She lulled, and now she's back. That is just so rare, especially in soccer, because the college season does not run congruent to the pro season. So not only is it longer, but you're playing it like at a different time of the year. So she's basically went from college about this time last year, a college season. Now the pros, I, the story is off the charts. I love it. Yeah, for sure. And it says a lot about black coat too, to find someone like that. And then to de- can you continue to develop her? hundred percent. All right, let's, uh, let's kill this conversation here. The end of segment one, we'll be back with more with Chelsea. I'm Dan. This is the equalizer podcast. Episode 79, segment two of the Equalizer podcast, with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better ratings and better reviews that you give us, the more great content that we can bring your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And this week we have Chelsea Bush and myself. I'm Dan Loletta. And uh, interesting Saturday night match. Chelsea saw Washington come from behind and beat North Carolina two to one and that kept their playoff hopes alive at that time. So they were actually the last team standing that could have gotten in, even though they're behind Royals in the standings. Uh, but don't forget uh, spirit and pride will play this coming Saturday in a game that was supposed to be during the FIFA break Labor Day weekend, but a hurricane was maybe going to come and hit Orlando. So the league rescheduled it for this FIFA break. So that's why the spirit, even though they were further behind had more points to gain, but, I mean, you know, this, I guess the narrative on the Spirit is what it has been for most of the season. But just an incredible culture change and some really good 
drafting. And what we saw on Saturday night was that if you put Mallory Pugh and Rose Lavelle on the field, they can make a difference. And I didn't even think they necessarily played that well and interacted that well together. Uh, I, you know, I think Lavelle, when she's on her game, can be a top three or four midfielder in the league. But, um, you know, they almost got there. And I, you know, I know they'll be disappointed not to have made it. Richie Burke has said all along, you know, our goal is to win the NWSL championship. But from where they've been the last two years, I don't think they can be too disappointed that here they are. And, you know, with a week and a day to go, they were in the race for the playoffs. Yeah, it's kind of like with the Royals. You know, maybe they didn't make it as far as they wanted, but I think there's a lot to, to write home about here. And you talk about Mallory Pugh scoring last night. I've been pretty harsh on her this year. I don't think she's kind of lived up to my expectations for a member of a World Cup winning squad. Um, but that was a big goal. It was, it was a, a good, a needed goal. And then that's what you expect World Cup winning strikers to be able to do is to come up with goals, create goals when it comes down to the wire. So hopefully having a healthy offseason under her belt can maybe prime her for a better year next year. And same with Roosevelt. Um I, I agree with you that she she's can be such a game changer. We just unfortunately have seen the opportunity for her to be so so very, very little. And that continues to kind of be an ongoing concern, unfortunately. But yeah, there's there's a lot for, for Washington to to build on. I, I think there's some pieces they still need to put together to really launch themselves into the net next tier. But I think something we saw and that we haven't seen in them since two thousand sixteen is the ability to to get results that maybe they they shouldn't have like last night. Yep. And um, we'll talk about the courage in there in a minute, but I thought when Pew came in the league, she was what, 18 years old. And I thought that, you know, I think it's a different game to go when you're 18, jump in with the national team and hang when the other team is worried about Lindsay Horan and Alex Morgan and Kristen press, Carly Lloyd, whoever's out there. Then you get into a club team, and a club team that wasn't really even that good. All of a sudden, every time you get the ball, the other team is keyed in on you. And I thought Pew had some issues responding to that. And I, no, I agree with you. I don't think she's had a very good season, even when she has been out there. But I think that's the next step, is can you, can she be the type of player that says, all right, you know what, there's 10 minutes to go, this game is tied, I'm taking over this game. I don't care that everybody knows him trying to take over the game, but I'm taking over the game. And I think if she gets Rose Lavelle in the midfield to do the same, and I think Lavelle has already shown at this level that she can do it. I think it's more a matter of health for Rose Lavelle. There could, I mean, that that could be a spectacular duo for that team. And I thought they were pretty good, even taking those two players completely out of the equation, as they were basically from opening day through a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't even really know what the spirit looked like with Roosevelt week in and week out. They've seen a little bit more of Pew. Um, but you also, you talk about that partnership, but I think that Pew and Hatch have shown flashes of a partnership between them. And I think that could be very, very dangerous because I think Ashley Hatch has actually been pretty solid from day one, not just with the spirit, but before that. And I think she's been solid for the spirit and has kind of taken that, that team on her shoulders a little bit sometimes and, you have Jordan DiBiase to work with. They have, they have a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, weapons. Chloe Lagarzo, I think, was a great signing for them. Now the courage, on the other hand, and this is not new news, but the courage basically put up a big sign 
in this game that said, if you want to beat us in the playoffs, here's how to beat us. You might have to get lucky, but here's how to do it. Because they could have been up like five or six nothing by the time this game got to the 75th minute and Washington got their goal to tie and then eventually got their other goal. I mean, first of all, I don't know if you, I know you didn't see the whole game. I don't know if you saw the Paige Nielsen line clearance, which was remarkable yeah, because yeah, she was, because usually when a player's momentum takes them towards the goal, they wind up knocking it in. But she managed to do that and still knock it out. And then Crystal Dunn, if it was a cross, if it was a woodwork contest, Crystal Dunn would have got the blue ribbon, you know, crossbar, post a couple minutes later. I think she might have hit one in the first half, too. And then all of a sudden, you know, you leave the team in the game, and that's what happens. And they lose 2-1. to yeah. one. Go ahead. I was just going to say that Lavelle, um, I thought, really got the better of Abby Dahlkemper in this leading up to the goal that that she scored. I thought Dahlkemper came out nice, stepped up to play the ball, and, and Lavelle just flat-out beat her and found his yeah. team and scored it. It was really well done. Yeah, it was. Um the Kurds, the Kurds are so bizarre. I mean, they go from scoring twelve goals, thirteen goals in a week, right? To, I mean, even even count the one from Houston, but I mean that, that took a penalty kick to win that game, and then just have kind of been sliding, I guess, a little bit ever since. I think part of that is knowing that their position is secure and maybe just taking a step back and breathing, and maybe letting their guard down a little bit too much. Um, you know, so I think part of it is just a little bit mental shutting off. Um, and also th- their finishing issues. I mean, we've talked, we've been talking about this for years by this point, you know. Sometimes they, they seem to have, every time we think that they've kind of solved it and they're, they're scoring, you know, six goals a game because that's by far the chances they create, the good chances they create. And then they, things just, just turn around. So I mean, I, I wouldn't be too worried if I'm, I'm sure Paul Riley's lit into them because their performances haven't been particularly inspiring as of late. And he doesn't like to win, or to lose games, rather. But I'm, I'm not as concerned about them as I would say maybe like Portland. Yeah, well, Portland I think has more issues with their health and just not looking good. Whereas the courage, not that they, I mean, they, yeah, there are stretches where they don't look good, but they just, it just, I think we're just comparing the courage to last season, and it's almost impossible to make that comparison. Which I actually think makes it more impressive that they came back and repeated as shield winners because you they I mean you had to know deep down they couldn't repeat a one loss season. But every time it looked like they might fall off the cliff they have come up with a huge result. Now who would you who would you not want to play more? Because I it's down to rain and thorns for who they would play in the semi. So I, I think I would rather play Portland, even though I just told you that I think the rain are inferior to the other three. If you're if you're North Carolina or just any team in general. I'm North Carolina. I probably oh, any I think team. they'd love to play Portland. I mean, I think Chicago would rather play Portland because I just think they match up better with Portland. But you think they would love? You, do think, you, you think uh, Chicago would want to play Portland? Oh no, I beg you. Well, no, I yeah. Portland would rather play Chicago because Portland matches up with Chicago. But I don't know that Chicago matches up with the rain so well either. I mean, they've had some really entertaining games over the years. They've had some real snoozers over the years. But I'm telling you, if I'm the courage, I you know I I worry about Vlaco getting some major tactical um, setup in there that just frustrates the heck out of them, and then 
Bethany Balser finds one in the 87th minute, and you lose one nothing. I mean, I think that Vlatko versus Paul Riley is a really interesting setup because I think Paul Riley, week in and week out, he's going to go in and, and, you know, I can almost guarantee you know, what the lineup is, with maybe one exception, it's he's going to go with that box midfield. We saw a little bit of tweaking, you know, midseason this year. He did change it up a little bit. But he is, is a coach who I think likes to go in and say, this is the way I'm going to play. I'm going to force you to play my game. And it's been very successful for him. And nine times out of ten, I think that's probably the right attitude. And I think whereas Vatko takes every opponent, kind of analyzes and says, okay, what, what can I – how can I best, you know, exploit X, Y, and Z? And is very, very good at analyzing the opponent's weakness. So I think that would be a fascinating matchup. And so, yeah, if, if you're Paul Riley, maybe you maybe you avoid um, Vatko. But I also think that they would just cherish the – thought of, of taking out Portland in the semifinals. I think there's a little bit of a rivalry there. It would be interesting if they flipped teams because Riley was a lot more tactically flexible when he was coaching in WPS. And Andonovsky right now at least kind of has to be flexible because he doesn't have the roster to do it. He was, you know, it was a little bit more straightforward in Kansas City where they would play the Four two three one, and they had Holiday running the midfield, and especially the years that they had Amy Rodriguez up top, that was an easy plug-in, and Sauerbrunn was part of that great backline. So I wonder what it would be like if you handed Vlatko the North Carolina roster and put Paul Riley in with the rain. How flexible could Paul Riley be, and how much could he get out of them? It would be interesting to see that. Yeah, yeah, it would be. A um, couple of other notes from the weekend. Sky Blue and the Pride play 1-1 at Red Bull Arena. 8,300 people on hand, which was pretty good, considering they kicked at 11 a.m. local time. It was a short uh, run-up. It's right in the heart of the youth soccer day. Um, did you see the last play, the uh, Ashlyn Harris-Elizabeth Eddy exchange? I did. And? Um... My initial thought was that it, it was um, should have been a PK. I think that it looked to me like Harris grabbed her leg and kind of took her down with her. The only thing I would be hesitant about is that even it looked looked like at least on the broadcast that even Eddie was calling for it. I didn't see much protest from from Sky Blue players, so that usually says a lot. But yeah, from where I was sitting, it, it looked like she grabbed her, her leg and took her down. I don't think it was intentional. I think she was trying. She didn't have really have control of the ball. I think she was trying to get it. But I do think she took her down. Carly Lloyd kind of didn't want to get into it. Said no. She thinks it was the right call. I watched it a number of times over, right after the game, and I think you can make a case that maybe Eddie got her leg into Harris, and that's why she grabbed it. Well, I just saw on Twitter that apparently Harris's uh, jersey got ripped. So oh. there was a, some contact from from some cleats somewhere, from, <laughs> supposedly from that incident. So it, whether that came before or after, I can't say. Um, yeah, it's hard to say that, but I will say that I was glad I didn't. I, I was glad that I wasn't the one out there having to make that call. Yeah, and I think right. if this was a bigger game, this would have been a huge deal either way. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I've seen more more egregious ones, but yeah, I think this is one that they're going to want to look at again. All right, if Sky Blue had won that game, they would have had the first. Uh, they would have given Orlando the first pick in the draft. This is, of course, barring expansion, but uh, the draw leaves the teams five points apart. Pride do play twice more, so the Pride can still catch Sky Blue 
put Sky Blue in the basement of the league, although all Sky Blue has to do is get a win in their last game. All they have to do is go win in North Carolina, and they'll be guaranteed not to finish last. But they do. Not too many teams have their number one overall, not their first-round pick next year, but those two teams actually do. Dash, by the way, are locked into being seventh, but their pick goes to Chicago, which goes to Sky Blue, who has the highest of Chicago's five at one time, down to four now, first-round picks in 2020. So we can already start to plan for the offseason. But let's step out. We'll come back, take a couple of your questions, and talk maybe just a little bit about the FIFA Best Awards that went down last week with Chelsea Bush. I'm Dan Lawletta. You're listening to the Equalizer Podcast. Back for a final segment on episode 79 of the Equalizer podcast, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to us by our friends and partners at Sports Reference. Check out their women's soccer section at fbref.com. And for this week, well, we got the rain into the playoffs this week, and so the rain and thorns again will be in the playoffs together, and in fact, they will be the respective road teams in the two semifinals on October 20th. But I thought it would be a good time to just kind of recap how important the Cascadia teams have been to the NWSL. Last year was actually the first year that neither one of those teams lifted a trophy. So there's two trophies per year. One of those teams got one of the trophies in each of the first five years. Between them, they have won two NWSL championships, Three NWSL Shields. There has yet to be a playoff season without a Cascadia team. And uh, as important as they are uh, for soccer in general in this country and as important as they are, uh, you know, at the gate with Portland here and, uh, you know, the Portland-Seattle men's sides as well for Major League Soccer, they have really been great teams to watch on the field. Uh, they only met up one time, by the way, in that, in those, you know, all the times they were in the playoffs together, and that was last season. And the Thorns won that game coming from behind to beat the Rain. But the Thorns were in there in 2013. They won it all. Rain won the Shield in 14, and the Thorns were in. Rain won the Shield in 15, and the Thorns missed it. 16, the Thorns came back and won the Shield. 17, the Thorns didn't win the Shield, but won the NWSL Championship. And then last season they met up together, and the uh, Thorns did not finish the deal in the final. So we'll see what happens. It's still a possibility for our first-ever Cascadia NWSL championship if both teams can win on the road in North Carolina and Chicago, respectively. We'll find out where each team will go over the next two weeks. And that is your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. Please check out the uh, Improving Everyday Women's Soccer Statistics section at sportsreference at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. Chelsea, let's go right to the questions, and let's start with, well, let's, uh, all right, let's start with Robert McCann, who says, do you think Orlando would be better off trading Morgan to get some midfield or backline help? Easy answer for me, yes. You? Yeah, I I think that they've uh, probably gotten everything out of Morgan they're going to get, um, hasn't been great for them. Part of that is due to health, but she just part, part of that is she hasn't been very good for them. And I, I don't think the uh, off-field draw is as much as it, it was. I think that they've kind of had their fill, and I think the fans 
are probably as just as ready to to move on. So, and I think they desperately they've got other players that can score, and I think they desperately need some help deeper on the pitch. So, yeah. Jerry Pyroleski says, "What are the odds that Pew, Sullivan, and Lavelle return next year? Two of three off to Europe, Lyon. Perhaps Pew could benefit most. Um, I don't think I don't see." Uh, you're going to see maybe more players heading to Europe. You know, there are actually stipulations in the CBA about how many players are allowed to not be playing here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I see all three of them back. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. I think that part of it is because not only are you, you going into another tournament year, you're also getting a new coach. And I think every player who, wants to be on the Olympic roster, which includes Andy Sullivan, or is going to want to get as much face time as possible. And and I think that probably, yes, U.S. soccer is going to heavily frown upon anyone who's going to want to go overseas in this year. And I think that the Spirit are going to do everything that is in their very limited power, at least with two of those three, to keep them. I do agree that if one goes, Pew is probably the most likely, with Sullivan the least likely of the three. Um, Elena Gudima, and this is a new name for me, so welcome aboard. Thanks for your question and for listening. Uh, have seen a couple of the Australian NWSL players posting about not returning to their W League clubs. Are they going to a different club? What informs those decisions? I will leave this in the hands of our resident W League expert. Well, most, not all, but most W League um, signings are only for a year, their contracts. And also, if this player is sort of in the middle of their contract with the, their NWSL club, they're actually only going on loan. So that's also just for one season. So there, there's a lot more movement in the W League than there is in the NWSL um, as to why they would want to leave clubs. You know, there's just the same reason you ever want to leave a different club. There are many factors. But there, because of those short contracts, there is a, a whole lot of turnover in between seasons. And there's nothing um, when you go on loan that means you have to go back on loan to that same club, right? It's completely, once you're done with the loan, there's no tie into that club whatsoever, correct? Correct. All right, another one from Elena. When will we actually find out about home stadium updates for Sky Blue and Washington and the possibility for them moving to Red Bull or Audi? Um, I can tell you that I spoke to the Sky Blue general manager after the game at Red Bull on Sunday, and there are no updates, but she reiterated that's Elise LeHue reiterated that uh, time is critical. I think their number one desire is to play at Red Bull, and they're trying to figure out the best way to get that done. And, uh, you know, in fairness, it's probably a negotiation. So Red Bull's probably trying to figure out the best way to get it done on their terms as well. Um, The first time they played there was a uh, straight-up one-time game, Sky Blue game. Uh, This one was Sky Blue played at 11 Red Bulls played at five, which won't happen often. That's because of the MLS decision day stuff. But uh, there were some things that didn't go totally smoothly with Red Bull in the building later. And there were some things that didn't go smoothly the first time without Red Bull personnel there. So all those things need to be, you know, adjusted and accounted for. But I think Red Bull Arena is the most likely. I don't have a lot of insight into the spirit, but I think maybe a 50-50 split with an eye on eventually moving to Audi Field permanently might be the way to go because that fan base got, you know, that fan base woke up this year big time. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. That usually means that I said it so well. All right. 
Janine, what do you see as the, this is a good one. What do you see as the future of U.S. goalkeeping? Will more than one player get what feels like 99% of the caps in the next four years? Who do you think the top three to four goalkeepers will be for the U.S. through the next cycle? Want to go first this time? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, I don't think we're going to see constant goalkeeper rotation. That's just that's not how the, the U.S. is made, to, no matter who the coach is. Um, in the next cycle, interesting. I think we're going to see Murphy and Campbell get back in. I, th- I think they're going to be in the mix. I think French will still be in the mix. Um, I think Ashlyn Harris will probably retire before the next cycle. Nair, I'm don't really not sure. I mean, she could stick around for another four years. Um, I, mean, I don't know I why it, she I think wouldn't. She, I think if she if she decides to stick around for another four years, um, then she'll definitely still be in the mix. Um, I, I could see she's on sort of like my maybe list for retirement. Just, but I don't. I know so very little about Lisa Nair. It's a mystery. Like that's I don't know very true. What is going on in her personal life? But at some point, people want to want to just do stuff besides soccer, and I think she's at an age where she. I could understand why she, if she would want to do that, and I could see her playing for another four years. It could go either way. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we're trying to get rid of Alyssa Nair, and I'm not really sure why. Like, why wouldn't she be one of the top three or four keepers in the next four years? She has been now for a cycle and a half at least, been one of the top three or four. I pretty much agree with everything else you said. I think a wild card is Abby Smith, but she obviously has to play for her club team, and I would – Venture to guess she'll play the Royals finale now that they're eliminated, which won't get her onto the national team. But um, if she comes out and actually can have a healthy season, I think she's a wild card to get back in that mix. She was in there. I think she maybe got a camp at one point or another. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sold on Jane Campbell. Let's put it that way. She does a lot of things well. I'm not sold she's an international-level goalkeeper. Yeah, I I think that if she gets the proper development, I don't see her taking, like, the number one spot, but I could see getting her – I think she has enough potential to to be built up to be a very, very good keeper down the road. I agree with you that Franch will, you know, is in the mix still, but I think she has not had as good a season in the league as she did the previous two when she was goalkeeper of the year both times. Agree? Disagree? I completely agree with that. I was thinking about that today when I was watching her. She's she's made some interesting choice decisions. And I do think Aubrey Bledsoe is worth a call-up. I think she's worth a call-up. I think she's going to prove to not be to the level, but I think she's, over the last two years, has really done enough to deserve getting that look. And I still think if you're, go- if you're putting together an Olympic roster and you are – just, all right, we're going to the Olympics and we need a keeper. I don't see why you don't at least call Nicole Barnhart and say, you want to try this again. That's, I've been wondering about that because I feel like she's kind of slipped lately. And I wonder if that's the sign of her, the, the toll of like a long season. So it makes me wonder if she can hold up to a very condensed tournament like, tournament like the Olympics. Yeah, and that's essentially, I think, why she fell off the chart because she couldn't train enough to keep up. You know, and there was with, I think it was four, 2014. She was on the injury report every week, and Blackout kept wanting to sit her down. She said, no, one more week, one more week. And I, I wound up playing almost every game, if not every game that season, and we had a great final. All right, um, 
Also, the uh, I think it depends on the coach whether there how much goalkeeper rotation there is, but I don't think it'll be what it has been, where you just get one goalkeeper jammed down the throat. I think the mismanagement of Hope Solo led to the need to kind of mismanage Alyssa Nair, and I'm hoping we don't have to do it to that extreme going forward. All right, uh, FIFA Best Eleven. I'm surprised that we didn't get any questions about this. Um, I have approximately zero interest in awards like this um, because if you're going to tell me that Megan Rapinoe has been the best player in the world for the last year, I think that is not only do I disagree with it, I think it's preposterous. I don't think you can honor a better player in terms of what she's done for the game and the visibility of the game. But, I mean, come on. Alex Morgan is one of the top three forwards in the world. Give me a break. Yeah, those those two weren't even the best U.S. player, much less the best in the world. I mean, they got Ertz on there, who, you know, I was touting for the golden ball at the World Cup. Um, I'm let, let's run it down real quick. The goalkeeper is uh, Sari van Dendal from the Netherlands. Lucy Bronze, Nyla Fisher, Kelly O'Hara, Wendy Renard are your defenders. Midfield, Ertz, Amandine Henri, Rose Lavelle, forwards Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, and Marta. All fine players, and I don't want to disparage anybody who just got honored for something, but I just, this is just not the 11 players that I think represent the best in women's soccer, whether it's from the World Cup or the last year or just 2019 to date, it just, it doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, I mean, and one thing we should probably make clear is that at least the World 11 is, is actually voted on by the FIFA Pro, which is sort of a the Worldwide Players Union. So that's the players themselves choosing the best 11. I'm not sure exactly who gets to vote on the FIFA the best. Um, I think that coaches and media get a, a vote as well. Um, but the World 11 is the uh, just the players, and uh, <laughs> some of those choices are interesting. Anybody specific, or would you rather not single anybody um, out? I think that not including Vivian Miedema is is mind-boggling. That was, to me, the biggest omission. I, I think Sam Kerr was a, a big omission, too, but I think if you want to make an allowance for the fact that in a tournament year you're going to be voting off the tournament, Miedema had an excellent tournament. She's been excellent for Arsenal. She's been excellent for, for her country. She had an excellent World Cup. I'm trying to, to think of a, a venue where she hasn't just excelled and I'm, I'm coming up short. I think to me that is, is by far the biggest submission and it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, Ellen White is someone that, I mean, who knows? I don't know what the voting was, but Ellen White is someone else you can talk about. I think, I mean, Kerr is a huge omission. You know, I mean, she scored five goals in a world cup where nobody thought she played that well. And she wins the golden boot every league she goes to. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not uh, – the World Cup, I, I think it's kind of like an Alex Morgan thing. Like, she scored, that you know, the most of her goals against Jamaica where, like, Alex Morgan beat up on, you know, Thailand or whoever it was. So the goal count itself, I'm like, eh. Um, but, yeah, for for clubs, for sure. She's, she's been so dominant for so long. And, I mean, she was – she was. I'm looking at the list right now. She was number eight out of the forwards. Amidama um, was nine. Ellen White was five. Ada Hagerberg is, is four. Um, I think I think Hegerberg tends to be hurt by the fact that number one, I think people see Leon as, as someone who puts up a lot of their numbers because of being in a lopsided league, even though they do continue to win the Champions League, and also for not playing for Norway. But yeah, these are. I mean, it's just any of these awards. You just really can't put much stock into it. It's nice 
it's nice for the players to be recognized. I mean, Carly Lloyd is the fifth-best midfielder in the world. I don't agree with that. She's um, not even the fifth-best midfielder in her league. <laughs> she's, she's not even starting on her national team. Like, so well, This is where we're at, I suppose, and it's nice that they did the best 11, so hopefully we can evolve it a little bit, make it a little bit better as we go forward. Yeah, and I think part of it is, is too, is just getting access, getting access. You know, I can wake up every Saturday morning and I can watch men's Bundesliga and men's Premier League and and all sorts of leagues from around the world, and I can just sit at my fingertips it's on, you know, um, Fox Sports or NBCSN. It's so much more difficult to get other women's leagues, and so you really do. It really does come down to these big tournaments because that's what's what's broadcast. And so I think that's part of the reason too. These tend to be Eurocentric. So I think over there they get to see Champions League. They get to see a lot more than we do here, whereas especially now, NWSL, even NWSL access is not as, as easy as it once was back in the YouTube days. And also, I think we're still evolving because, you know, not to say that the World Cup isn't the biggest deal on the men's side, but there's so much else in the four years in between World Cups, and the domestic leagues are a much bigger deal, and there's a lot more competitive games in those domestic leagues. So it makes it easier, I think, to find uh, your domestic form, so to speak. And there are enough big time, uh, there's enough good men's teams that don't make it to the World Cup that I don't think you have to play well at the World Cup. And I don't follow men's soccer enough to have much of an opinion on this, but I don't think you have to play well in the World Cup to be a factor. On the men's side, we're on the women's side again. The domestic leagues are not as prestigious. A lot of the games are lopsided, and it just all comes to the surface for the World Cup and the Olympics and the Euros. And that's just where we are right now. Yeah. And where we are right now is at the end of another Equalizer podcast. We are coming up on a FIFA window, so we've got the U.S. in action. Jill Ellis will bid her final farewell to the national team. There will also be a Pride Spirit game, which is uh, just for the uh, proverbial Pride, maybe some spots on the draft table and then October 12th is uh, the final weekend of NWSL regular season action. But we know our playoff teams right now. We know our host teams right now. And we'll talk to you next week on the Equalizer podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.